Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here this morning. We are doing this series, as Ben says, called Be Still. And I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying it. And you know when you hear a sermon series and you think, this is speaking to me. I don't know about you, um, but I'm just loving it. And reading, I've just read the book that we've been referring to, a book by John Mark Comer, which is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a fantastic book if you get the chance to read it. Um, like I said, you know, this, this is speaking probably to many of us at different levels, and uh, I really pray that God speaks to us today uh, through this story as we think about what it means to, to be still and know God. And let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for that encouragement to just be still, to know that you are God. And Lord, I, I pray you would speak to us this morning. I pray, God, that you would reveal to us who we are in you. And God, what you've got to say to us this morning. Lord, we humble ourselves before your word. And God, we ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage focuses on a guy called Elijah. The New Testament says that he was just a man like you and I. But we see this man uh, from chapter 17. He comes into the story. We're in chapter 19. And he is confronting a king called Ahab. Now, Ahab was um, deemed by the Lord to be the worst king, the most evil king ever. So that's a great title to have, isn't it? And uh, he worshipped the god of Baal, and his wife was called Jezebel, and she was, by the looks of it, quite evil too. Uh, She worshipped another god uh, in her life. And Elijah is sent to them to confront them of their sin, the fact they're worshipping another god, and calls them to, uh, to focus back onto the Lord And the way he does this, it's interesting, what he does is he he puts a call out to all these prophets. There's these loads of prophets. There's 450 prophets of Baal. And what he does is he calls out to Ahab and says, send me your prophets. Let them come down here and meet with me. And we're going to have a test and prove which God is the God of all. And so they do. These 450 prophets come down and Elijah says to them, go and get two bulls. Bring the bulls to me. One of the bulls, I want you to put on a little sacrifice pile of wood, and we're going to see if your God can come and ignite that pile and consume that by fire. And I'm going to do the same. Give me one of the bulls, and I'm going to do the same. So that's what they do. They bring this bull, they stick it on this little sacrifice pile, and they pray out to Baal, and nothing happens. All morning, all afternoon, and all night, nothing happens. And Elijah's on the, on the side of this, looking at this, just sniggering, because he knows, he knows who God is. And so he calls out to God. And what happens, the fire of God comes down and burns his sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the animal, the water that surrounded it. He poured four lots of water on the sacrifice just to prove a point, and the whole thing gets consumed. And so what we see with this man is he's a man of boldness, he's a man of courage, but he's just a man but steps into what God has got for him to be. And then he has these 450 prophets slayed. He kills them all. And then Jezebel, the queen, is not happy. She's not happy that he's done this. So she says to him, my promise to you is that by tomorrow you will be dead. You will be dead. Now, bearing in mind all that Elijah does in God do, this woman confronts him and he runs. 
He runs, he's scared, he's fearful, and he runs. And what we see is he runs for a day, and then he ends up under this bush, and he prays, God, I want to die. I have had enough. Has anybody ever had enough? This is Elijah at this moment. He's had enough. He's seen God move in power, but yet he ends up in this place a day later, under this bush, wanting to die. It's really powerful. You know, he's sinned. God do loads of stuff. You know, he prophesies a drought to Ahab. He, God provides food for him in his lowest moments. He multiplies food for him in a widow's house. He's sinned. God do this. He's, Elijah's sinned. God raise a woman's son from the dead through him. But yet he gets to this point. After three years, he goes back to Ahab and he confronts him again. And it's really, really interesting to see how God can take someone and use them so powerfully, but yet lead them to the point where they feel nothing. So we see him under this bush. And, and it's interesting that um, after all this, he's there in his lowest moment. And what does God do? God comes and meets him at his point of need. God comes to meet him at his point of need. And how does he do that? By telling him what a great man he is and what he's going to do. No, he provides him with food and water. It says angels come to him twice and meet his basic needs. They give him food and drink and allow him to rest. Allow him to rest and to sleep. After this happens, he gets up. He travels for 40 days and 40 nights to a place called Horeb. And he spends the night in a cave. Probably taking shelter, probably hiding a little bit as well from his challenge. And it's at this point today that we see God meet with him and ask him a question. And the question is, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? That's an interesting question, isn't it? God knew. You know, when God asks you a question, he doesn't need the answer. He doesn't need the answer. We see time and time again in Scripture that when God asks a question, what he's doing is giving you a moment to encounter something more about yourself and more about who he is and what he wants to do next. We see this time and time again in Scripture. And what we see next in Elijah's life is something transformational. But in answer to God's question, he misses the mark. And he says to God, I have been very zealous for you, for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenants, tore down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He's pretty low, isn't he? He's pretty low at this moment. And he's trying to communicate to God that what is happening, happening in his inner world. The frustrations that he's got and the fear that he's got. But it's interesting, isn't it, that after the highest moments that he's probably had with God in his ministry, he goes to this point where he's reaching out in his lowest point too. He loses a sense probably of, of God and who God is to him, but maybe about himself as well. He's probably losing a sense of who he is, his calling, maybe even his faith and his future. Yet God meets him there. God meets him at that point. Not by unpicking what Elijah has to offer him, but says to him, get ready for an encounter. It's interesting that God meets him in his hour of need by meeting his physical need, his mental need, his emotional need, and his spiritual need, which we're going to unpack as we go through this. Because God says to him, go out 
and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then the Bible says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, bearing in mind that Elijah was used to the spectacular, he was used to encountering God in the spectacular, the big stuff, and God sends the big stuff around him, but it says that Elijah did not meet him there. It's interesting that God used a different way of communicating to him than he was used to. Then it says, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And at this moment, something happens. He recognizes God is wanting to communicate with him. Yet he runs back to the cave where he was hiding and taking refuge, where he was seeking safety. And he puts a cloak over his face and stands at the mouth of the cave. He knows something is happening. God has now got his attention. And then God asks him the same question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know, it seems that God is wanting to lead Elijah out of this sense of me and what I see and what I feel. He's allowing him to communicate it, but he wants to lead him from that to encounter more than what God has got for him to have. It's interesting, whatever happened to Elijah, we don't really know a lot at this point, but we know that something happens in him. There's a shift. But yet he still responds with the same thing when God asks him the same question. But, oh, but you don't understand. You don't understand what's happening to me. And he brings attention back through to himself. But God continues to speak with him. But what we do know is Elijah is suddenly ready now to hear what God has for him next. Whatever has happened in him has shifted, and he's ready for God to speak to him. And we see God give him new purpose and sends him on a new mission and brings alongside Elisha to support him. You know, as you, as you sit here this morning, you know, God has made you a physical being, an emotional being, and a spiritual being. We can get caught up in just doing religious acts, but you are more than that. God has made you as a complex being physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, and right through this passage, what we see is God provide and meet Elijah at his point of need, whether that's physical, emotional, or spiritual. He brings him food and water and meets with him in his deepest self. And it's in that process of really working through that with Elijah that he is transformed, he's restored, he's re-envisioned. He knows what God wants for him to be and to do. So what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know, God has the same question for us. Why are you here? Where are you at in life? You know, God would really want to meet us at the point of where we're at today. Let me sh- this picture on the screen. This, um, this represents where you're at today. What each of us can see around this room today. Or those who you might have in your life that just share your life with you. Where are you at with yourself and with God today? Because this is what people can see. But do you know what? This is only a glimpse of who you are. A little bit. 
of who you are. You know, the stuff that you do in your everyday lives that people notice. And people might not appreciate that there is a world that's going on inside of you that is below the surface. Your inner world. And this is what God is wanting to meet you in. He's wanting to transform you in because there is a link between what happens underneath the surface and what people see in you. That where is the greater amount in this picture? Is it under the sea or above the sea? Under the sea. That there is so much in us that's happening in our inner world that will influence who we are in our public life, in our private life, as we relate to people at home, our spouse, our friends, our family, our work colleagues, how we treat them, how we treat ourselves, how we view God. All of that is linked to this stuff that is happening in our inner world. Because you are more than just a physical being. You have this inner world that is happening. You know, this was true for Elijah. This is where God met Elijah in his inner world. And this is where he wants to meet us too. God wants you to bring your whole self to him, not just our religious acts. You know, God is really keen that we grow in maturity as followers of Christ. If we read the New Testament, the New Testament has a lot to say about maturity, about growing in who we are. And people who have written a lot about spiritual maturity have drawn this parallel between who you are spiritually and who you are emotionally. Because you will act out what you are internally, emotionally. I don't know about you, but if I'm low, if I'm frustrated, if I'm disillusioned, it comes out in how I treat others around me. We don't want it to, but it does. It's just the way we are wired. And so we don't just follow religious patterns of attending church or being part of a small group or even doing church stuff, ministry. There is something else that God is wanting to meet us in. Yeah, some of us in the room today will be dealing with disappointment, with despair, with loss of vision, with questions about ourselves, about our faith, and about our future. And all of these probably are happening in you without anybody knowing. They're all here. They're all dealing down here, deep inside of who we are. But this is a huge part of who we are that God wants to meet us in. And it's when we're honest about this stuff, primarily with ourselves, but with God and with those around us, that God can bring healing and restoration and freedom. God longs to bring us freedom and purpose. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about this thing, and the phrase it often uses about this thing below the surface is your heart. You know, what is the heart? Well, the heart is the entirety of a person's inner self, the seat of thinking, feeling, and choosing. That is, the heart is the mind, the emotions, and the will. Read that again. The heart is the entirety of a person's inner self, the seat of thinking, feeling, and choosing. That is, the heart is the mind, the emotions, and the will. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, if something's going to determine the course of your life, we probably need to give it some attention. You know, God is concerned with the state of our hearts, and he wants to speak into that with his still small voice. You know, in other words, we want to give attention, yes, to what's happening above the surface, what we present to others, but also we want to give attention to what's happening deep inside of us. 
And how does Jesus do that? You know, as always, we look to Jesus as our model. And he was whole. You know, Jesus was completely whole. So what did he do? And Jesus lived this pattern of retreat and return. Retreat and return. So he lived a really busy life. Loads of ministry, loads of spectacular, loads of stuff happening that he was ministering with people, connecting with people. And what we see in scripture is the more that he did that, the more he had to withdraw and be with the Father. He had to do it more the busier he got. And if that's true for Jesus, is that true for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. For each one of us, that will look very different. But I want to really encourage you to think about how are you withdrawing to be with God in his word, in prayer, just allowing him to speak with you. Because we can run away from relationships, we can run away from circumstances, but we only end up in the same place. And God wants to lead us in life and life eternal. Yeah, we constantly see this with Jesus, and I think we can just really draw a lot from this as we carve out spiritual disciplines in knowing God, knowing what it means to be in the stillness of God and knowing his life. Because what happens is you go into that place and God restores you and speaks to you and re-envisions you and sends you back out to be salt and light in the world. But we need to have that pattern of freedom in our lives. With, with Elijah, what we saw was this pattern of fear. You know, he was so busy that fear gripped him. You know, fear of man, fear of failure, fear of not being enough, fear of not truly being the man that God had him to be. You know, fear limited his life at this point, but only until God then brought freedom. In the New Testament, we see God say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There is something about you know, being able to bring who we are, our brokenness and our, our weakness before God and say, meet me here. I don't know about you, but when I feel low about myself, sometimes I come before God and go, oh, I've just got nothing to give. And I feel fearful about coming towards God. And what we see here is that God says, that is the time I will meet with you. That is the time of transformation. That is the time of freedom. You know, God's grace is the gospel. You know, the undeserved love of God to meet us in when we don't have enough, that he might be our enough. And so when we go through lives, let's be mindful of that. You know, even when things are going well, let's be mindful that that wellness is temporary, that we have to go back to the one that sustains us and gives us his grace to empower us to be who we're going to be in him. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I need God's perspective of me. I... I struggle with that sometimes. God, what do you think of me? What do you think of what I'm doing? What do you think of my brokenness? What do you think of my weakness? And I need God to be able to speak to me in that place that I might know his strength and his direction. So what are you doing here this morning? What are you doing here? It's it's an interesting question, isn't it? What are you doing here? Where, Where are you? Where are you at today with God? Because this story gives us hope that wherever we're at with God this morning, that God wants to speak to you and meet with you. He wants to transform you. He wants to set you free by his grace that you might live the life that he's got for you to live and be the person he's got for you to be. 
I think for some people in, here this morning, you need to hear that, that God is for you. That God is for you, not against you. He's used to brokenness, and he'll meet you there. For some people, I feel this morning that God might say, I see you. I see you. I see what you're going through. I see that. There'll be some people here this morning who might be thinking, I don't even know who this God is. I don't know him. And I want to know him. You know, if that's you this morning, then grab somebody at the end. Because we'd love you to meet this saviour that we have, this Jesus Christ, who we put our trust in for this hope. And for some of you this morning, you need your heart to be restored, to be envisioned again, that your heart might come alive in what he's got for you. Uh, as the band come up, we're just going to pray. Because I think, um, you know, as we talk about this stuff, our minds can race with lots of things when we look back on our lives, even where we're at today. You know, so for some of you today, you might have seen God do loads of stuff with your life, and then there's just been a season of dryness where you've wrestled through different things. And God says, that is where I'm going to meet you today. Let me meet you there. And God longs for you to build rhythms in your life where you can be with him, know him, know what he thinks of you, and know how he's going to use you for his glory. That your relationships might be impacted, that your world will be changed, and that we might change the world for his sake. And so just as Sam plays, let's just pray and let's just wait for the Holy Spirit to come and stir stuff in our hearts. So let's just take a time to pray.